I need to give you a heads up about today's podcast so it'll make sense. Today's guest is married to my first cousin. She's a farmer, an agribusinesswoman, and in a farming family. And uh, because she's a relative by marriage, I'm hardly objective. I'm a super fan. But something happened that you need to know about or the end of the podcast is not going to make sense. And that is they had a child within the last year and that child died. His name was Thomas. And now um, Katie is and Taylor are pregnant again. And that's a source of great joy. But I had people tell me when I said, I want to talk to Katie, they said, well, my wife, you are not going to talk to that young woman about losing the child. And, uh, and I said, no, 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 this is not, you know, make someone cry or bring up something they don't want to talk about. However, she talks about it in the end by virtue of talking about her faith and her marriage and how those two things that are central to who she is remained intact. So when you make it to the end of the conversation, it's not going to make sense unless you know that. Because what we talk about, because these are really widely ranging conversations all over the map from Santa Monica, California, to now Emanuel County, Georgia, these are very different people. I talk to a lot of different people, and it seems to me that there are a lot of podcasts that they talk to the same kind of people all the time, whether it's about politics or stand-up comedy or whatever. And in this case, uh, we talk about farming, which is something you don't hear about every day. So I just wanted you to know that going in. Thanks for listening. So it was very different for me just because I had never been in that kind of environment before. And it wasn't something that was necessarily for young college girls or girls in general. It was kind of rough. What is the sound of one man listening? This is Man Listening, a fresh podcast featuring the stories of strong women who bounce back. Man Listening because every woman deserves to be heard. Hi there, and welcome to Man Listening. I'm Stuart Watson. Today, Katie Brett. Uh, I have a friend who refuses to refer to farmers as farmers. He says it's an antiquated term. Uh, he says they're all agribusiness men and agribusiness women in this case. And usually, I, I was tempted to call this the farmer's wife. But it's not the farmer's wife, because Katie is a partner in the business. She knows a lot about farming, um, grew up in a farming family, and is herself an agribusiness woman in her own right. So it's not fair to refer to her that way. And I'm hugely curious about farming and food. And basically, you will hear in this interview... Uh, if you buy, uh, let's say, organic broccoli from Whole Foods uh, up and down the East Coast, chances are pretty good that that broccoli came from one of their farms. 
So it's really important to understand and respect what these people do. Incredibly hardworking. I'm a fan. Here's Katie. Where were you born? Savannah, Georgia. And so did you grow up in Savannah? I did. Um, actually, we lived in Savannah when I was in up until like kindergarten, and then we moved to Effingham, which is right outside of Savannah, and I graduated from high school in Effingham. For purposes of understanding Katie, what should I know about your mother? About my mother, we look like identical twins. If you were to see her right now, you would probably not be able to tell the difference. <laughs> Seriously? Seriously. So we... she ages that well. <laughs> yes. We look a lot alike. A lot alike. And people really do think you're sisters. People really do think we're sisters. We entered in, um, they have like the Savannah Women's Show. Uh -huh. And we entered in to like the radio station had a like mother-daughter look-alike contest. And we won like three years in a row. <laughs> Until you finally retired. <laughs> yeah, then we retired. <laughs> you're just taking it from everybody. <laughs> oh, well, that bodes well for you and your skin and your yeah. hair. So she's not gray? Mm -mm, she's got dark. We all have very dark curly hair. We're pretty tan-skinned and brown eyes. We, we all look a lot alike. What did your mother do when you were growing up? Uh, she's an orthodontic assistant. That's what she's always done. Um, she took a break for a little while when my youngest brother was born, but that's what she still does now. Yeah. And did she tell your youngest brother, how did she explain the 15-year gap? <laughs> what, how, uh, surprise! <laughs> But she she didn't use the did she not did she or did she not use the word mistake? <laughs> Maybe a time or two. <laughs> or oops, baby. Oops, baby. It's probably more like it. <laughs> oh my word, that's something. So how old was she when she had him? She just turned fifty-two. So fifty-two minus fifteen. <laughs> Oh, late 30s. Yeah, late 30s. She wasn't in her she 40s. Wasn't in her 40s yet. Mm -mm. Yeah. And what about your dad? Uh, my dad is three years older than her. So. Yeah. What kind of guy is he? He works at the ports in Savannah. He's a crane operator. He um, grew up in Savannah, uh, went to high school in Savannah. All of his family's from Savannah. Um, he worked for AT&T for a while and was in the Air National Guard for like 22 years, I think. Um, Weekend warrior. Mm-hmm. He was gone a lot, like he was deployed a lot uh, when I was little and would kind of be back and forth. And then when he retired from that, he went out there to the ports and started working. Interesting. Are you closer to mom, I gather? Closer to dad, probably. Really? Yeah. Because you're daddy's only girl. Yes. <laughs> oh, always, I've always been really, really close with my dad. That's great. Yeah. And what kind of parents were they? Uh, they spent a lot of time with us. They always took us to do stuff. Um, we were never, like, just sitting at home not doing anything. We'd all eat supper together every single night, go to church on Sundays, uh, do big family vacations during the summertime. We were always going and doing something. Uh, what kind of church? Um, Lutheran. I went to St. Paul's Lutheran in Savannah. My maiden name is Conaway, and Conaway is a really, really big, like, predominant name in Effingham, and that's what, it was all Lutherans. They started, like, the Lutheran church in Effingham. If you go back to a reunion, or if you look at the 
high school yearbook. People would say, I remember Katie, she was. Um, I was involved in a lot of sports. I played sports constantly year round. I was very involved in FFA and ag. Um, I showed hogs, I showed cows. I did forestry, land judging, floral design, anything that I could do like outside with agriculture, I was very involved in. Um, I was actually prom queen <laughs> also, so. Oh my word. <laughs> So well-rounded. Well-rounded, yeah. I had a lot of friends. Like, I really, like I said, I didn't meet a stranger. I was friends with everybody. I think of the prom queen a lot of times, and the prom king, as the most physically handsome or beautiful <laughs> people. Were you the prettiest girl in the school? I don't know if I was the prettiest girl in the school. Well, how'd you get to be prom queen? I guess the friendliest and nicest. I was friends with everybody. Didn't really hang out with like one specific group of people. Kind of had, you know, a broader range of friends. Because there were probably kids there who were not farmers. Mm-hmm. Now, where did the interest in FFA and farming come from? Um, so both of my grandpas grew up farming. Like I said, we were some of like the first, like Conaway family was some of the first to settle on Effingham. My grandpa's daddy was very, very big into farming. Uh, when he was growing up, they had a big hog farm. They were constantly going back and forth to Savannah to the farmer's market. That's what they did. They raised tobacco and hogs and all kinds of vegetables. And when I got into middle school, they had an ag program where you could be involved in 4-H and FFA. And it really just was interesting to me. I liked learning about it. I really was into cows, raising cows and learning about them. And I guess like my main interest was livestock. Yeah. You'll eat a steak. Mm-hmm. How can you be that close to hogs or cows and send them off to be killed? I guess because I don't, I, I mean, I, I look at them <laughs> not as my pets, I guess. I, I knew there was like a purpose for doing what we were doing, and I knew eventually whether I eat them or someone else eat them that, they were going to be gone, so I never, I didn't get really attached to them. Yeah. Never named them. I did name them. Oh, you did. <laughs> I did. And so when you sent them off to sell them, what was that like? It never really bothered me. And I guess I never really thought about it. I just kind of knew, okay, this is the end goal. This is what's going to happen. And I, I just made myself not get attached to them. Like, what was some of their names? Um, oh gosh, this has been so long ago. <laughs> were they good names or were they like, I don't know, cowie and piggy? No, and... there was one like, we had a hog that was named like Boudin one time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember because, that one because I won a lot with that one. He was really, really good. <laughs> and because he was become a... He was going to become sausage He was going to become Boudin sausage, sausage down in Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So when you, do you have any friends who are like vegans? Have you ever bumped into people who are like vegan? I don't have any friends that are very close to me that are. I mean, I know some people who are vegans, but. Do they make a big deal out of it? No, not really. And you don't make a big deal. And I don't make a big deal about it either. I mean, if I know if they were like to come here or something, I would. I would have something set out for them that they would eat. I wouldn't be like, here, here's beef kebabs. Let me shove these in your face right here. I wouldn't do that. Did you slop the hogs? Yes. 
I fed them every day. That was so, when you're showing animals, you have to spend a lot of time with them to get them used to you. Because you have to walk them in an arena with, like, a stick, basically. It's like a, I guess, kind of like a cut-off PVC pipe, almost. Mm -hmm. And you just, you kind of slowly guide them around the ring. So they have to be comfortable with you, and they have to be calm. So I would go out there every morning and every afternoon. I would spend, like, an hour walking them and feeding them and watering them and really spending time with them so they get used to me. Talk uh, to them. Talk to them, pet them, brush them down, bathe them, everything. How do you address a hog? <laughs> you just, I just go out there and talk to them. Did you talk to them different than you talk to a dog? No, kind of kind of like you would talk to a dog, I guess. Yeah. It's not like you were playing fetch with a pig, though. That's true. But they, t they say pigs are really, really smart. They are very smart. Mm-hmm. Are cows? Cows, I don't think are as smart as pigs, but it's just kind of, I guess if you repeatedly spend time with them every day and get them used to you and all, it's just kind of like you can train them just like a dog. Yeah. What kind of hogs were these? Um, we had Yorkshires and Hampshires. I don't know what those look like. Though. So you've got like a, like a belted Hampshire would be black with like a pink belt around the middle almost or you would have like a solid pink hog. I mean, just kind of like a standard looking yeah. hog. And do they, you know, everybody says, like a pig. This place looks like a pig sty. Are hogs naturally sloppy, messy? They are. I mean, if you had like where their water would go into the pen, if they figured out that they could go right there and make a mud hole, then that's what they would do. They would make a big mess in a mud hole or they'd take their food and they would like stroll it across the pen almost. They also, they'll eat damn near anything. They're kind of like goats, right? Mm -hmm. But there are some things that you need to feed them, like you need to pay attention. Mm-hmm to fatten them up in a certain way. There is a certain percentage like protein feed that they would get um, and you could add in different supplements too if you saw like okay you wanted this this hog was getting too fat you want to make it a little bit leaner you would you would back up and you would adjust their feed and all. Did you call it slop? No. You I didn't just, call it I slop? I didn't call it slop. We would just feed them. <laughs> They're very smart. They are. I enjoyed having them. They smelled really bad but I always enjoyed having pigs. Yeah, and uh, pigs can also, and cows, if you're not careful, they can like slam into you. Or They'll bump. bite you. Yeah. Pigs will. Mm -hmm. Now, do they careful. bite you because they're trying to get at the food, or they bite you because they get mad? Or The only time I ever had one try to bite me was when I was feeding it. Um, but other than that, no. Now, cows will kick you. I did get kicked by a cow. Yeah. And I in in my thigh and it yeah it hurt. Yeah, is that because you were like behind it? Where I was walking behind it. Mm-hmm. Just like a horse. Just like a horse. You have to let them know where you are and mm -hmm. then be mindful. Yep, not scare them. Because they're flicking at you just like they would a fly with that tail. Yep. They That's consider right. you to be one more pest. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> What kind of cows did y'all raise? We did Herefords and just Black Angus. Mostly what's, Herefords. What's the trick to winning with a pig? So it's when you have a pig that's being judged, they looked at the muscle tone, the length of it, how it was built, the 
the fat on it. If you had a lighter colored hog and you were walking it and you were like whipping it a lot to get it to do right and it had a bunch of marks on it, they didn't like to see that. There's, um, you have, you do showmanship first, which is basically how you look and how your hog looks. So you had to wear jeans with a button-up shirt tucked in and a belt on and you would have a brush in your back pocket so you could clean the hog off if they got they pooped and got anything on them or if they rolled in the dirt or anything you had to keep it clean that's how they judge showmanship is basically on cleanliness and looks and then you would go into your um like pig class and then they would judge you on like the length from their shoulder to their hoof or how their hams looked and how they how much fat they had on them and, and that kind of thing this is kind of like the Westminster Dog Show. Yeah, but it's because for pigs. a breed should look in a certain way. That's right. Proportions and coloring mm -hmm. and angles and all that stuff. Yep. Same thing with cattle. Same thing with cattle. Same exact thing. Yeah. And the breed has such and such a look. That's right. So there's look for certain characteristics for the different breeds that they have. Did you ever teach a pig to do a trick? I don't know if this is really a trick, but the way to keep them calm, you could give them a piece of double bubble before they would go in the ring, and they would be f so focused on chewing that piece of double bubble that they really wouldn't pay attention to anyone else, and they would be calmer, and they would walk and do exactly what I needed them to. So I always gave my pig a piece of double bubble before we went out. Now, double bubble, as I recall, very hard. <laughs> Okay. So they would be really focused on chewing that piece of bubble gum, and they weren't worried about anything else. Did it have to be Double Bubble brand? Yes. It did? Double Bubble brand, yes. Because if you gave them some kind of soft, if you gave them like yeah. Wrigley Spearmint. It wouldn't be any good. It wouldn't do the same. They needed that hard That gum. hard bubble gum, yes. It's just like hard tack. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a good trick. How did you learn that? Somebody that had showed before me was like, look, your pig is acting crazy. Give it a piece of bubble gum and try it out and see if it works. And then I always did that. It worked. And then did you make them spit it out or did they swallow no, it? No, I had to like get it out of their mouth. <laughs> Ooh, without getting bit. Without getting bit, yeah. And they probably didn't want to give it up. They didn't want to give it up, no. You'd have to give them like a treat, like a apple or something else afterwards so they would not be mad. Now, are you allowed when you're walking them around with your stick, your piece of PVC pipe, are you allowed to uh, give them a little treat if they do well? No, they don't really like you to do that in the ring. They just like to see them walk. You have to keep the pig in between you and the judge and stay at least six feet away from the judge just so there's like enough distance for them to see the hog walk and everything like that. But no, I never did anything when I was out there showing the pig. Did you ever have a pig go hog wild? Yes, like, I had a pig that was absolutely crazy one time, and it didn't matter how much time you spent with him, he was just wild. And he would get in the ring, and he would just make a bunch of noise and run really fast in a bunch of circles and then run out the ring, and I would never be able to keep up with him. Now, he needs a little anti-anxiety. That pig needed a little Xanax. He did. <laughs> he needed more than the bubble gum. <laughs> <laughs> but it's probably not kosher to drug your pig. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> well, there are, you know, I mean, can you give them uh, steroids or any kind of uh, something that would artificially make them in a certain way? 
I mean, I guess you could. We never did. Um, I mean, if they were sick and needed some, like, an antibiotic or some kind of medicine or anything like that, we would. But you have to do it within, there's, like, a withdrawal period. You have to do it within so many days before you butcher them. So, your grandfathers that were in this farming, did you know these men? Mm -hmm. Both of my grandpas are still alive. Today? Mm-hmm. Are they still farming? Uh, no. Um, both of my grandpas still live in Savannah. They've lived in the same house since, I mean, I was born. They're still in the same place. I have one grandpa that's actually kind of like midtown, downtown Savannah. And then I have one that lives right on the edge of Savannah. And I still have one of my grandmas alive also as well. Oh, that's such a blessing. It is. To be able to know them because you learn. What is something that your mom cooked or your grandmother's cooked that you cook well let's see my dad's mom always did like butter beans and rice and fried chicken and so that's something i still love to this day i love butter beans and rice and fried chicken and my mom's mom always did she taught me how to bake so any kind of desserts cakes breads anything like that i learned from her she taught me how to really cook and what about biscuits yes biscuits she would be the biscuit maker my mom's mom would be yeah now fried chicken what's your secret i can't tell you all that that's why it's a secret (laughs) give me something it's about the buttermilk Uh, okay so it's about the recipe it is yeah now here's the hard question Are you better at raising a hog, growing a tomato, or cooking fried chicken? I would say raising a hog, probably, yeah. Out of those three? Out of those three. Taylor's a vegetable grower. And who's the cook? Probably both of us. We both equally like to cook. Taylor... Usually if I cook one night, Taylor will cook the next night, or it, it, it rotates very much. So we both really enjoy cooking. And is there something that he'll make that you're like, I ain't eating that? No, we both like a lot of the same stuff, and we both eat pretty much anything. Okay. Neither one of us is very picky. Will you eat a chitlin? Mm-hmm. You I will eat a chitlin. Mm-hmm. How will you prepare it? I won't cook it. But I'll eat it if somebody else cooks it. I mean, I won't turn it down. Or I'll eat, like, livers and gizzards. That doesn't bother me. Liver's one thing. Gizzard's one thing. Chitlin, (laughs) totally different. You're eating shit. (laughs) You're you're literally eating shit. You know, I mean, it smells like it. it, That's why I won't cook it, because it stinks. But but I understand, hypothetically, that if you fry the shit out of it, that it's, at least you can... Get it, it doesn't i mean that's not like hey i want to order of chitlins no i'm not going to go out and do that but if somebody has it i probably would eat it okay pickled pig's feet mm, no i don't think so have you ever had it no but i don't no i've never tried it but there i don't was know a that restaurant I'm... in charlotte called the coffee cup it is no more r.i.p the coffee cup and they had pig's feet you could have On pig's feet for, for lunch I ain't saying a lot of people ordered it, but it was on the menu. There used to be a place in Effingham that was called Blockers that you could have raccoon stew. Yeah. You could go in there and order it for lunch. There are places that'll have squirrel, they'll mm-hmm. have the whole nine yards. 
Yeah. Uh, venison. Yes. Love we eat it. a lot of it. How do you prepare it? We usually get it made into sausage or like hamburger meat or even like cube steak. So we could do like hamburger steak and gravy, but with deer meat. What's the secret to a good venison sausage? So the guy who processes our deer around here put, does jalapeno and pepper jack Oof. sausage. Oof. And so they put jalapeno and pepper jack cheese in there. And that's my favorite way to have sausage. Um, now we will do like a summer sausage or things like that or just a regular kind of like breakfast link sausage, which is good too, but the jalapeno and pepper jack cheese is my favorite one. He lives right around the corner here. Talking about Pine Tucky? Or? Yeah, Pine Tucky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you order from Pine Tucky online? No. Uh -uh. You got to do it. But he also probably has to be USDA certified, doesn't he? I'm sure he does, yeah, because now they only, not only do they have the deer processing place in there, they opened up a grocery store in Soperton, they have one in Swainsboro, and they have one in Twin City. They took the old Piggly Wigglies in Soperton and Twin City and reopened them and made them into little grocery stores. And it's primarily focused on the meat, right? Yeah, it is. He does like basically like a hometown butcher bot. And then I'll usually go to Kroger in Dublin or Ingalls in Louisville and get the rest of our groceries just because they have better produce. If there's something we need for produce-wise, then that's where I'll go. Do you ever grind your own sausage? No, mm -mm, we don't. Yeah, that would be. We really, we really don't have time. It's easier if we, if we get a deer or something to just go ahead and take it down there to them and let them process it and have it everything already done just because we don't have time during that time of year to do something like that do you hunt mm -hmm, i do what do you enjoy hunting the most i probably like bird hunting the most really mm -hmm. i really really enjoy like shooting doves dove. okay mm -hmm. yeah now people have told me with dove you're pretty much always shooting them on the wing they're always flying mm -hmm, they're always flying they're not sitting on the ground no uh -uh. The they're not sitting still uh, -uh. uh with a deer however i was told that you don't want to shoot them while they're running not only That's is right. it harder because they're usually a long ways away but uh the meat won't be as good is what i heard that's, pr that's true. If they die... It's really... It's harder to shoot them, too, while they're running. It's it's way easier to be... To shoot them while they're standing still. Right. And you don't... That don't bother you at all, shooting a... Mm -mm. Even a doe. No, because I grew up doing that, I guess. So, my dad always took us hunting. Taylor takes me hunting a lot of times with him. Taylor hunts a lot, and so I usually go with him, or I'll tell him, hey, I, I want to go, and he'll take me. Have you ever killed a chicken? Not on purpose, but yes. <laughs> Hit him with the car. <laughs> I didn't mean to, but yes. Not like I've never killed a chicken and then plucked it and cut it up and fried it myself, no. How about a hog? No, uh, we never butchered our own hogs. We always took them somewhere. How about a wild hog? Um, yes, I've, well, I've, I've helped Taylor. Shoot. Yeah. Like to hunt them. Hunt, hunt them, and then they've, uh, they've cleaned them and butchered them, yeah. Cleaning, will you clean your dove? Mm-hmm, I will. What's the trick to that? Now, let me just say this. My mother, when we went dove hunting, she would clean the little wings. Now, some people are like, 
totally not worth it. They just tear the wings yeah, off. Yeah, we just tear the wings off and pluck the breast out. Okay. That's the best part to me. That's what we usually fry or keep is the breast. And also what people don't realize is with shotguns, you get a little oh, you shot. Have to, yeah, you have shot. The, yeah, if you have sometimes you can pick them out or leave them or pick them out later, whatever you want to do. But And that bothers some people. I it think. does, I guess. And most of the time I don't. I usually don't clean them. Um, if we have like a big bird shoot or something, Uncle Henry and Mr. William are usually who's cooking and they usually clean them and cook them and do everything. So we've skipped over. I wanted to talk to you because I usually talk to people who live in cities mm -hmm. and they've never had these experiences. Right. Like it's completely. It's very different. It's foreign to them. Right. So how did you go from uh, what in 4-H? It was FFA, FFA. Mm -hmm. and the hog competition and the cows to actually being in agribusiness. So when I was involved in all that in high school, I when I was looking at what I wanted to do for college, I was actually I had three or four scholarships for forestry. And so I was going to go to ABAC, and I decided, no, that was Abraham too Abraham Baldwin. Mm-hmm. And then I decided, no, that's too far away from home. I don't want to be that far away from my brothers. I don't want to be that far away. Um, and I ended up going. That far away was like four hours. <laughs> right. It wasn't very Come far, <laughs> but I didn't, I was, I was a homebody. I didn't really want to leave and go far off. So I ended up getting two scholarships to East Georgia College in Swainsboro. And I moved up here. It takes me probably an hour and a half to get back to Effingham from Swainsboro. I ended up going there for two years. And there was a livestock auction across from the college. And my dad was like, why don't you go there and try and get a job? He said, you love farming. This is what you want to do. He said, see if you can do something. He said, tell them you'll do anything. You know, you just... You need a job. And I said, okay. So I walked in one day and I was like, hey, what can I do? I'm, I'm ready to go to work. What can y'all, what, I want to learn something. Can, what can y'all teach me? And I worked there for seven years. I ended up meeting Mr. William before I met Taylor. Taylor was going to Statesboro at the time. I was in Swainsboro. And then I left and went to Statesboro to start agribusiness at Geechee Tech in Statesboro. And Taylor came back to Swainsboro. And then we ended up meeting again in Statesboro. And that's where I got my agribusiness degree from. And I learned about the GPS for the tractors and precision ag. And I met Taylor. And then I could never get rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When you first met Mr. William, your impression was? He was very loud. <laughs> I had never met someone who talked that loud before. <laughs> Was that intimidating, or were you just like, okay? No, it, I was just like, okay. I was at the livestock auction. I was really the only girl there also. I worked in the office. I worked in the back with the cows. I took tickets back and forth from where we would weigh them to where they would auction them off. So it was very different for me just because I had never been in that kind of environment before, and it wasn't something that was necessarily for young college girls or girls in general. It was kind of rough. What 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 did rough look like? It was just dirty, messy. I was covered in cow crap from head to toe every day and smelly. You were outside. There was no air conditioner. Uh, it was a lot of work. And physical work. Physical work, right. 
And I enjoyed it because I liked being around cows. I wanted to learn about cows. Um, and I really learned a lot how the whole livestock marketing worked, how it, how you take a cow from the farm to auction and the whole process of that. And then it leaves auction and it goes to a meat packer and it's processed and sold from there and how that whole sequence of events worked. Um, and then I met Taylor and Taylor loved farming too. And we had farming class together and we spent a lot of time taylor brought me up here and showed me his farm and i just kind of fell in love with it um when you first met taylor your impression was he was very funny he was very outgoing he made me laugh a lot yeah. i'd never met someone who was so silly and but so smart at the same time was he hitting on you oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> was, there, was there any doubt about that no uh-uh now did any other people at the farm uh, market hit on you no uh-uh you were the prom queen i know but it's almost kind of like they were scared to talk to me because i was the only girl i don't know if it was intimidating to them that i was the only girl but taylor was the only one who really kind of got up the nerve to talk to me and he and was like hey I brought you this chicken biscuit for breakfast. He's like, I knew you liked them. And he said, so I turned back around and went and got you one. Come over here and sit with me and eat breakfast with me. That's very direct. Yeah, he was very to the point, like very direct. I had never met someone who was just, it's very black and white when he talks. Like, you know where you stand with Taylor. And he was like, look, are you going to go out with me? Are you going to be my girlfriend? What, like, what are you doing over here, Katie? Come on, make up your mind. <laughs> and so it was probably easy with that kind of a binary thing to say yes or no. I'm right. either going to hang with this guy or not. We're not going to just pal around and say, oh, it's complicated. I don't know. Mm, no, it was never complicated with Taylor. He, uh, I enjoyed spending time with him. We liked the same things. I mean, we immediately hit it off. Like um, what kind of same things? We both enjoyed being outside. We both liked farming. I liked learning about farming. Taylor taught me a lot about farming and just took a lot of time and showed me things like, look, we're going to go cut this pivot on. I'm going to show you how to do it from start to finish. And then next week, I'm going to ask you to come over here and do it. And we liked eating the same kind of foods. Um, we listened to the same kind of music. It sounds like he was also <laughs> like saying... I need somebody who's up for the farming life. Right. It's almost like being a military spouse. It is. There's a lot, a lot of people don't understand that when we are extremely busy, that we don't really do anything else but work. Um, there's sometimes where I, Taylor will leave in the morning early and I don't see him till eight or nine o'clock at night. And you, he doesn't call me because he's so busy during the day. And I kind of do my thing, and if he needs something, I'll go do it. But we don't spend a lot of time together. We don't go out to eat every weekend uh, when it's time during harvest season or when they're planting. It's, it's kind of like I go to him on the tractor and take him supper, and that's our date night. We eat together that way and spend time together that way. Or we spend time together at the farm because we don't get to take vacations during the summertime like everybody else does because we're working 24-7 all the time. And a lot of people, a lot of people don't understand. Well, why, why can't y'all come with us to the lake this weekend, or why can't y'all 
come out to eat with us and it's just because that's our busy time that's when we have to make our money and get it done when are the busiest times the busiest times are probably july we're getting ready to cut corn and august we're harvesting corn so usually probably july through middle of october we're very very busy with harvest um and now that he does vegetables so they're harvesting they're planting also at that time vegetables while they're harvesting corn and then towards the end of the year like november december they start harvesting broccoli and then we turn right back around we take about a two or three week break and they start planting spring broccoli uh middle of january end of january and then they get ready to plant corn and then when we get done planting corn, we get ready to harvest broccoli and plant soybeans also as well. And so there's never really a break. We're pretty much busy year round now. We're getting ready here in probably the next week or so to have a little bit of a lull. But then, like I said, in July, we'll be getting ready to cut corn. So we used to have a, a bigger break, but until he started doing more vegetables, we're pretty much busy year round now. So when can you go to the beach? If we, honestly, when we, <laughs> our time to go do something is like if we have a day when it rains and it's flooding, raining, and then, okay, we can take a day and go do something now, and we usually don't make it to the beach. <laughs> but what about a time of the year? Could you ever plan a week? Time of the year would probably be in June sometime, I think, would probably be our best time to go somewhere, and we really probably couldn't go very far because we would have to be close because pivots are running um there's stuff constantly that is tearing up or breaking and we don't really have enough help to be able to turn loose and say we're going to be gone for a week somewhere on vacation right now but uh, probably the middle of june would be our best time to go somewhere what about hiring scaling to the point where you hire a manager who does that and you don't have to be so hands-on it would be nice to be able to do that but if Taylor's not here overseeing things, it doesn't get done the way that it needs to be. You, we can't turn that over to someone and say, here you go, this is what needs to be done. It's not going to be looked after the same way it would as if Taylor was here, kind of saying, okay, we need to go cut this pivot on. It's very hands-on. Taylor has to be looking at something and say, okay, it's time to spray, or okay, we need to cut this pivot on at this point in time. This place has had enough water. We can cut this pivot off. It's not something he can call on the phone and be like, hey, I need you to go over here and cut this pivot on. He has to be able to put his eyes on it and see it. I don't care if you're a doctor or a farmer. You're going to have to, if you scale to a certain point, you're going to have to trust people to be able to manage it because it gets to be too big for two or three or four people right. to do. And I think we're at the size now where we'll probably stay here for a while. It's enough that it's manageable for us and who we have working for us. Um, I think if we got much bigger than, yeah, he would obviously have to have someone that is more like him to help run things. But I don't think Taylor will ever completely turn it over to someone and say, here you go, this is what you need to do without him being here to, to look at things himself and, and check on it. At least be able to, for him to ride around field to field and say, okay, this is being done. Y'all need to go over here and do this and have someone that he delegates that work to. Can you see a day where this field you and I are looking at now where you have the irrigation, you have the pivot, the sprinkler system, and you have the uh, tractors and, and machinery that, that are operated by human beings. 
can you ever see this being done by robotics and artificial intelligence? I, I don't think so, no, because there's, there's a lot that's automated on tractors nowadays, and there's a lot you can set with your GPS and things, but I think you're always going to need a human being on a tractor just because there's there's so many things that I feel like would go wrong if you didn't. You just would have to have someone in there looking. Even if they didn't do anything or touch the steering wheel or anything else, I think you would still have to have that person on there because I feel like there would always be an error somewhere that you couldn't perfectly set it to plant exactly how you want it to without someone being in there looking at it. Are there some crops which are so delicate that they will you will always need human farm workers because of the delicacy of gathering, I don't know what. I think so, like um, they do not mechanically harvest onions. We don't mechanically harvest broccoli or cabbage or cauliflower. That's all hand-picked. They, they hand-plant it and they hand-harvest it. And I think because you have to for example, broccoli, when he plants it, they plant this section on this day and then they space it out so that everything doesn't come off at one time. But when it gets hot or you get a lot of rain and this broccoli grows so fast in part of a field, well, this part of the field may be ready and this part may not. If you put a mechanical harvester out there and just gather everything, well, there's going to be some that you can't sell because it's not the right order for that day. It's, it's something you have to look at and say, okay, this one looks good. Let's cut it, put it in the box. Or this one's got, maybe this head of broccoli has got a little yellow bead on it. We don't want to put that in the box with these other four that's around it. That's good, so we're going to have to throw it to the side. That's going to be, have to, somebody's going to have to look at that and have their hands on that to make sure that they pick the right vegetable. And I feel like that's why you need someone who can hand harvest it. Now, there is a lot. It looks like there's a lot that gets left out there. Um, like if you look at this field, you can still see there's plenty of onions out there that were cold and left because they were too small or they maybe had a little blemish on them or something. What'll it's, happen to those onions? They just rot? So they'll, they haired them into the dirt and they planted soybeans out there already. So they'll just kind of be absorbed. They'll rot and go away. They, they go back into the soil. They won't regrow onions? Mm-mm. Then some places there may be like little tiny like sprouts that come up. But. but going all the way back to biblical times, they talked about the gleaners who would come behind and they would use that. Nowadays, you call those food banks mm -hmm. or pantries. That's right. Um, is there the opportunity in any farms for a food bank or a pantry to come behind and take uh, produce which is not perfect but which may be perfectly edible so a lot of times like with us if we have broccoli that's left in the field that's because it's gotten too big and it's sprouting and it's not able to be consumed actually flowering and it's or... it's re it's flowering out where it's not any good so then we i mean we don't we've never had like a food bank come out and get stuff because if we leave it that's i mean it's not any good anyways but now we've had stuff that has been harvested and packed at the packing shed and iced and everything done right. And then it get to the end user and they say, mm, this has got a little bit of yellow bead in it. It's not the right color for us. There's nothing wrong with the broccoli. It just doesn't look 
good enough for them. And then loads like that will go to a food bank. So and they, they reject it. it and and it then it'll straight, go straight to a food bank. And so it ends up in, let's say, Savannah or Augusta. Yeah. Y'all go as far as Atlanta? We do. We go all the way up the East Coast. We've got oh stuff word. in Virginia. We've got stuff in Maryland. So Charlotte? We've got stuff in Charlotte. Um, Wegmans, Whole Foods, Sprouts. We're all up the East Coast with our vegetables. And so when someone goes to South Park and to the Whole Foods and they get a, a, a head of, of cabbage or broccoli, that may have come from right out here. It could have, yeah. That's pretty cool. Are there, are there times when you look at what you do at a certain season, maybe it's when the green shoots come up or whatever, or a certain time of day, dawn or dusk, and you are stopped by the beauty of that? Mm -hmm. well, usually in the afternoons, if we, if we have time where we can sit out here on the porch and you, you can see what we see out here and it's, and there's stuff growing. It's just so, like, I just feel so blessed being able to look out here and see that this is what we do. We produce this. We're feeding people. And it just makes you feel good about what you're doing, seeing it grow out here. You don't go to the Lutheran church anymore? No, I go to the Baptist church up here with Taylor now. The one that his, Hall Hammock. Mm -hmm. that his father goes to. Um, why do you go to church? Because I feel like it's important to have a close relationship with God. Um, I feel like me and Taylor lean on each other a lot uh, with our faith. And that if we didn't have that in our lives with what we've dealt with the past year, I don't, I don't know if we'd have been able to get through what we got through in the last year without having that relationship with the church. And our church family is really, really good. They've looked after us there. We've made new friends through them and and leaned on our church family a lot and it, it's been very important the relationships that we've built within the church also to us what you're describing is a community mm -hmm. and there are many many different ways of achieving community but what you had that you articulated in your wedding vows is more than a community it's a faith right and so i'm kind of asking you about that I'm asking you, I'm not challenging you, I'm really just being curious. Where does your faith come from? I feel like, too, God has provided a really, he, He's provided everything that we're able to do without Him. We wouldn't have made all this progress that we've made and that Taylor, He's, he's opened up a lot of doors for Taylor. For he who? God. Oh, okay. And without that, you know, I mean, we, we pray for rain. We pray for a good harvest season, a good planting season. I just feel like it's very important for us to have that relationship with church and, and God just because of what all we, we do every day. I know some people, when things go poorly, there's no rain or there's too much rain or there's not a good yield, or the market goes to hell, they pray to God. Right. right? See, and I think you have to be thankful and give all your praise to Him for that because He's the one that made that happen. You prayed for that rain, and, and I feel like everything happens because that's how He has His plan set up, and that if it's, it's going to rain, it's because He's making it rain.
So for Katie, how was it that your faith got stronger when you were tested? I think it drove me closer. Um, I don't feel like it drove me away because there were some days that I would pray and, and just beg God to make Thomas, you know, whole and healthy and, and to be able to bring him home. And without that, and leaning on him and, and reading my Bible and reading my devotion and having that relationship with God and in growing our faith, me and Taylor together, I don't know that we would have made it through. I, 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 don't, I don't see us as going the other way. One way that I really, really wanted to talk to you was because you included farming in your wedding vows. Yes. And you were kind enough to invite me to your wedding, <laughs> which I still, well, which I'll always remember because my late sister was there too. Y'all had a selfie in front of the tractor. I remember the, the selfie. That tractor was like more than a half million dollar piece <laughs> of equipment and I threatened to take it and, 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 and drive it off. I said, well, it'd be a, a slow speed chase. Slow speed chase, that's right. We catch up with you. Tell me what the wedding vows said, remind me. I think it, it, was, said, it was, it was the always uh be there for you even during harvest season or to be patient with you even during harvest season because that was at that point in time taylor didn't do any vegetables he just did corn and soybeans and peanuts and that was we actually were cutting soybeans the day before our wedding we were late to our rehearsal dinner because taylor was cutting soybeans and i had to wait on him to come home and get a shower we were like 45 minutes late to our rehearsal dinner and i had to learn a lot of patience with taylor and did you what did you say to him when he walked in i said you better get a shower and get dressed we got to go and he said they can't do anything without us and so <laughs> we uh I had to learn a lot of patience with Taylor when it came, when it comes to that time of year because I was not used to that lifestyle of, okay, we, we can't make any plans this weekend because Taylor may or may not be working. I don't know what time he'll get off. He may get off at 5 o'clock. He may get off at 9 o'clock. I may not see him until the next day because I'll be asleep when he comes home. So I, I told him in our vows, I promise to love you and be patient with you even during harvest season because that's the hardest season of our, our year right there, of our, our lives that we go through is a lot of things can go wrong. Lots of stuff tears up. doesn't always go as planned. But your father-in-law and mother-in-law never got divorced, and I gather your parents. My parents are divorced. Oh, they are. They are divorced probably nine years ago. What did you learn from... What do you learn from watching William and Sandy, and what did you learn from your parents? Because I gather y'all aren't getting divorced anytime soon. <laughs> no. I think it, it goes day We're to day. We're not. <laughs> I feel like communication is a big part of making it work. Uh, what you do have you mean? To make, Everybody says that. I don't you, know what that You means. have to make time for your significant other. You have to make time for your spouse. Even though me and Taylor are very, very busy, He's in one direction, I'm in another direction. We have to make time for each other. Whether it's when we come home, we sit down and eat supper together, or I carry him supper on the tractor and, and spend that time with him. That it's important that we put each other first, even though no matter how busy we are, what we've got going on, and that we communicate and talk 
if we if we have a problem or if we have something that isn't going right we have to talk about it and and make time for each other no matter when that time is we have to spend time together that's really admirable i think it's very important because a lot of a lot of farming is very very difficult and hard on a marriage um very financially and and time wise it's a lot of time spent apart and i think it's important to be able to make that time for each other no matter how busy you are what you have going on well it's feast or famine financially mm -hmm. right it is so if you're there in the good times you got to be there you got to the, be there in the bad times too right and not only that but you all you're a part of the business right it's a lot of ups and downs it's not always good and it's not always bad you got a lot of ups and downs what is your legacy what was Katie Brett about? What was my legacy? <laughs> I feel like I am a very giving person. I give a lot of my time and do a lot for other people. I love my husband and our family. And I love farming. I love working with him. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Um, I joke all the time with him, like, would you please fire me so I can go do something else when we get really stressed <laughs> out? But I don't think I'd be happy anywhere else doing anything else. I'm, I'm happy right here with what we have going on. And with your husband, who's the youngest of his generation uh, in the Bretts, he represents that I've been able to calculate seven generations on this same land mm -hmm. um, or nearby land, uh, and there's about to be an eighth. There is in October. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Will. And that is very brave of, of you because there are plenty of husbands and wives who the death of a child drives them apart. We haven't been driven apart, I don't think, at all. I think we've been brought closer together. Um, like I said, our faith's been stronger because of this. Um, it's devastating, and it's been really tough for us to get through. But I think this this next child coming along is going to be really, really good for us and for, for everybody else also. It's been very... Everyone's very excited for us. We're very excited and to have another another little boy right here is is going to be oh you know it's going to be a boy? we know it's going to be a boy so we're going to have another another boy well see i don't ask i'm not rude <laughs> i'm not one of those rude reporters i don't i don't yeah ask. we'll have another we'll be having our second boy in october well, congratulations thank you i honor your work <laughs> i respect you immensely taylor somewhat less so and uh <laughs> and i really value your time Thank you for doing this, Katie Brett. Thank you, Stuart. And I asked Katie to send me a, a picture uh, of herself, as I do a lot of times to put on social media. And if you see it on any of the postings, Instagram or elsewhere, uh, it's a professional photo and she is just a glow, pregnant and a glow. So I'm, I'm so happy for them. I am so, so happy for them. And I hope to see them on July 3rd where, uh, where they have a pig picking. Uh, so thanks, Katie. Man Listening is a production of Unmediated LLC in cooperation with the Queen City Podcast Network and Balto Creative Media. 
Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative and Rachel Clapp Miller are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Katherine Smith. That's me. Please go to our Patreon page. You'll find us at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening, one word, no spaces. We hope you'll join us by becoming a member. A small investment can raise up the conversation. If you want exclusive member merch, like a t-shirt, we can arrange that too. A huge thank you and a shout out to everyone who has supported Man Listening from the very beginning. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Don't forget to support us at Patreon. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Click the subscribe button and next week you'll hear. But I always say like, if something feels like an obligation or if you're doing something because you feel like you should do it, then you don't need to be doing it. That's next week on Man Listening. Thanks.